Welcome everybody to Kremlin File. We have a very, very special guest with us today, Yevhen Fedchenko, and he is the director of the Moila uh, School of Journalism in Ukraine, and also the co-founder, the co-founder of StopFake.org, and former, former Fulbright professor at USC Annenberg. Um, yeah, and we spoke with uh, the other day with Maria Avdeva, and she finished off okay her discussion with a real um, a real message okay to all of us besides our you no know, full support for Ukraine and what is happening and how we can support you, but also to be very very careful about all of the um, the disinformation. Okay, the Russian disinformation that is getting out there. And it was a very, very strong message from Maria. So to be aware and all of that. So you wrote in a tweet, okay, Yevon, Russian disinformation inherited a lot from the Soviet active measures. You've written extensively about this, okay? Uh, the Kremlin propaganda, Soviet active measures by other means explains main tools and narratives. So we're going to get into a bit of the genesis today, but I want you to begin by telling us all about stopfake.org. Okay, Evan. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me to participate. It's really, really a great pleasure, especially at this absolutely crucial moment for Ukraine. And if we Talk about disinformation. This is the main way to understand how this war was constructed, how this war was prepared, and how this war uh, is um, structured. I mean, in terms of uh, division between kinetic warfare and information warfare. And uh, Stop Fake was uh, following Russian disinformation since 2014. Immediately as uh, uh, Crimea was occupied and then war in the bus started, we got together at School of Journalism, different people, faculty, students, former students, and uh, decided to start a project which would be uh, fact-checking, verifying, and debunking this information. Because at that moment, absolutely intuitively, we realize that this is going to be a big part of uh, the whole war. Yeah. It's not only about what is happening in the field. It's not about looking for Russian tanks crossing the border. It's more mm -hmm. about Russian disinformation getting into your mind and Russian disinformation sowing uncertainty, sowing mm -hmm. uh, chaos, and uh, uh, creating the ground for the things which we are witnessing right now. And again, it appears that we were absolutely uh, right predicting that the next war would be organized around disinformation. And if we look at what started in Ukraine uh, back uh, in uh, uh, February 24th, it was all about disinformation. All the pretexts for this war were created by disinformation. And again, it's nothing new. So as we are saying, it's it's not the date when the war started. War started back in 2014. It was uh, happening every day. 
but the problem was how it was perceived by different mm -hmm. audiences and how people realize if this is a war or the war is still to come, you know? And mm -hmm. disinformation was basically organizing discourse around all this in a way that there is no war, there is nothing unusual, you know? And uh, that was the main purpose to use all those platforms which were organized around the Russian disinformation ecosystem to make sure that they have access to very, very different audiences in different mm -hmm. parts of the world to deliver all those messages which would persuade people and help to create absolutely parallel uh, yeah. reality, which does not exist anywhere besides Russian minds, Russian elites, and the Russian disinformation uh, ecosystem. And from this point of view, Stop Fake was following what they've been doing for eight years on a day-to-day -day mm. basis. Wow. So we monitored Russian media very extensively, mostly mainstream media. And uh, we're mapping the main narratives they were pushing. We were picking up those stories which were fakes or were uh, manipulations. We did the mapping of the main uh, narratives. We did a great archive of those narratives, which you can find on our website in different languages. Ukrainian, Russian, English, Polish, Czech, uh, and we used to have other languages some time ago, mm. you know. So in a way, it was a, a platform which allowed people to look at this ecosystem and to understand what uh, uh, instruments are used to push those narratives and what the impact of this uh, ecosystem is on different audiences. So that was uh, what Stopfake was uh, doing, and it was a great tool to predict actually Russian behavior in mm. a political way, in a military way, uh, because again, as I said, all, all this, this war is about uh, disinformation. Yeah, yes. actually, we, we need to create stop fakes all over. Right. We need the same. We should be following you know, what uh, what you guys have been doing for, you know, since 2014, you know, documenting all the Absolutely, different. Absolutely. Because the disinformation know? is not, you know, only to Ukraine. Ukraine was the testing no. ground, but it is across Europe. I mean, we see the division in America. This is all from disinformation mm -hmm. operations. Yeah. Um, exactly. So since 2014, you've had the success of debunking over 4,000 stories, fake videos, um, you know, uh, pictures. And I remember um, when our U.S. intelligence, you know, came out with the assessment that Russia was preparing false flag operations and that they were going to stage, you know, an, an attack and then blame it on Ukraine. And, you know, people in the West kind of even mocked our intelligence. They're like, what? I mean, is it, are they going to hire crisis actors and whatnot? But what they failed to realize was that this is how Russia uh, uses, uh, con starts a war by creating a pretext and creating these attacks. And honestly, they don't need to hire crisis actors because they're happy to mm -hmm. sacrifice their own, you know, their soldiers own people. for that. Mm -hmm. Um 
Can you tell us about that? I mean, how mm-hmm. often have you seen them set up these stages for false flag operations and, you know, and what you've seen? The forces were started. All the narratives were set. The Russian domestic audience was fully uh, inoculated in uh, Russian disinformation. All alternative views were absolutely disconnected from Russian media system. And uh, all the narratives, actually, which which were used as a pretext for this war, they were already developed uh, before, and they were repeated so many times that we knew exactly that what would be the main narrative of this war would be about. It would be about Ukraine as a failed state. It would be about mm-hmm. Ukraine as a fascist neo-Nazi state. It would be about the weapon of mass uh, destruction. Uh, and again, it will all predicted. So this is a kind of uh, um, irony of this war because we knew about this war uh, well before it actually started. And our point was just you should take what Russian disinformation is saying literally. It's not like they are kind of exaggerate anything. So I was watching Russian TV shows on a daily basis. And I was tweeting almost daily at the same mm-hmm. what you've been doing. Like, if you hear that over there, that means they're really going to do that. So if they say we're going to nuke uh, Lithuania, you know, I would take that very, very serious because wow. it's not just a, yeah. kind of a, a bluffing and some verbal uh, uh, exercise, yeah. you know. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's real about... Uh, uh, explaining their vision of this world, and uh, it happens just because they do not see any any limitations for for, for yeah. that. So yeah. they push their narratives, and then they uh, behave according to those narratives. So nothing is 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 hidden over there. So I was always taking it it literally. So they were saying that we are going to uh, shell Ukrainian cities. So my perception was that, yes, they are really going to shell uh, uh, Ukrainian cities, even if when most people were in total disbelief that they would ever see no. something like that. Yeah, they would think, well, you know, as a person sitting, let's say, in the West, right? They would yeah, say, no, so come on, like they're not going to do that. Yeah. You know, and then, of course, you know, thank God, thank God that I have great friends who have educated me and they, and I kept saying, no, I think they're actually going to do it. And I would talk to people and they would say, no, come on. No, they're not going to do that. And then boom, you know, that kind of thing. Because a lot of people, what they don't understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong, this is like a military tool. This is part and parcel of their military action. So, and this is what a lot of people don't see because they watch TV and they say, ah, no, no, it's just, you know, it's just, uh, for, it's just stuff for for social media, but they don't understand the real psyops, you no, know, that are underneath all of the mm-hmm. from the old active Soviet active measures, the way that you talked mm-hmm. about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was researching that, and uh, from my point of view, what what Russia was doing last eight years was just a continuation of the Soviet approaches to that. Uh, they've been exploiting the weaknesses of the uh, Western system from from uh, ideological point of view, and probably now they do not have ideology, uh, one specific ideology, yeah. but instead yeah. they have uh, multiplicity of ideologies they can sell to all interested audiences. They can talk 
talk to far right, they can talk to far left, far left they can talk to imperialists, they can talk to anti-colonialists, you know, and yeah. globalists, anti-globalists. They've got a menu for everybody. Absolutely. Basically. So that was the biggest change, the, the departure from mm. one big ideology. The second departure was uh, what Lenin was saying, that we would sell them the rope in which they would they would sell us a rope, we would hand them you yeah. know, money. So they were using the, all the benefits of uh, Western technologies, uh, Western journalists and editors who yeah. were happy to work for this system. They were using uh, freedom of speech as a, uh, actually as a whole to get into the systems. They've been uh, using the, the, the multiplicity of uh, views. Uh, they've been using the weaknesses of each society they were penetrating. And so the system just be, became much more flexible compared to Soviet system. And they also weaponized social media, which was not uh, available in Soviet yeah. times. So all those components allowed them uh, to use the weaknesses of the West and also to use the money available to them and make it attractive and make it a part actually of the Western culture. But the bottom line is what Stephen Hawking said, it's a military police dictatorship. Whatever you are doing, what, what, what a nice wrappings you can have around yeah. all this, military police dictatorship. And everything they are doing, they are doing to suppress uh, freedom of speech inside the system and also to make as much erosion of the system uh, outside of the system. And that exactly was happening. They've been doing that very uh, intentionally. And uh, we've been saying again for eight years that you should get rid of this uh, at the mm. earliest stages because that's like a, a viral uh, sickness. You know, you need to suppress it at the early stages. And we've been proposing uh, sanctions against main uh, propaganda and disinformation institutions, because as you rightly said, they are not, they are not media. They, they no, are not, no, absolutely no. Media. They are part of a psychological operation, now part of the Ministry of Defense, if you wish, and they should be always treated like that. And so we've been advocating uh, uh, sanctions against individuals and institutions. We've been advocating getting rid of RT and Sputnik. And we've always been uh, labeled as those people who are against freedom of speech because mm -hmm. there was a mantra that the audiences yeah. are smart and they can always decide what is lie and what is truth, you know. And it appears that it's not, uh, not the case. No. It's not the case. No. No. And yeah, now no. we're in, yeah, to the same scenes, but it's too little too late. So now they are uh, sanctioning uh, Solovyov and uh, mm, Simonian, yes. and yes. we see social media platforms actually limiting the impact of Russian. But that's too late. The, the war is already happening. And again, as I was saying at the very beginning, it's not about Ukraine. Ukraine, it's a place where now this fight is happening but it would never be limited to Ukraine. No, no. In fact, when was it? The other night I saw a tweet by uh, Steven Rosenberg. He was watching, okay. Uh, he was watching um, Kizilev's show. Mm -hmm. And basically some of the things that were coming out, you know, that they were talking about on that show was that, um, that Russian, no troops are in Ukraine to stop Ukraine from joining NATO, getting a nuclear bomb, attacking mm -hmm. Crimea 
and then southern russia okay basically ukraine was a threat okay to russia which is a complete alternative reality that this is what they were pushing that's what they've been painting for i mean I've been documenting it. That is what they've been painting for, you know, a long time. And the only thing I would add to this is they project. So they accuse Mm -hmm. Ukrainian military of, uh, you know, there will be an attack in this city. And that is Russian forces in Syria. They projected that U.S. and white helmets were preparing a chemical attack in Idlib. Meanwhile, a chemical attack did happen, but it was uh, by Assad and Russian forces. So that's the only thing I would add that they project and they tell you what they're going to do. They just blame the other side of what. Yeah. yeah, Of what is happening just even with elections. They've attacked every single Western election. But when it comes to them domestically, oh, U.S. is attacking our election as if someone can penetrate their election. I mean, yeah. That, yeah. that's laughable. It's ridiculous. Yeah, there is no election claim. there. No, but this is no. yeah, this is what they do. And I mean, I'm sure you have been monitoring very closely. How worried are you with this narrative that, you know, Ukrainian mm. military is preparing to set off a dirty bomb? That uh, they are they are preparing to use chemical weapons um, mm-hmm. inside. We know Ukrainian military didn't wait for two hundred thousand Russian soldiers and Chechens yeah. and Syrians to cross into Ukraine mm-hmm. in order to decide to use uh, dirty bombs and 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 chemical weapons. That's a lie. How concerned are you with all of this and what is how, where the direction of the war is going? Yeah, I mean, you are right. All those narratives, again, are known to us already for years, and they've been pushing them on and on, you know, and uh, basically nothing new we we, we see now. So they are just using the same playbook, and uh, again, it happens at very different levels. Probably the biggest change now is that they have very uh, limited um, uh, possibilities for uh, Russian official propaganda to be disseminated again because when the war started, the level of trust uh, decreased significantly, and mm. uh, even those people who've been carrying water for for Russian government are now are quite yeah. you know silent and uncertain yeah. and try to mm. keep away because it's toxic. Nobody wants to, or well, almost no one wants to be. Almost, uh, I can I can give you almost. some people here that are still. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. it's not a mainstream anyway already because yeah. the people, if they are rational, they won't be seen on their own side of the history, you know. But previously, it was absolutely normal to to, to carry water uh, for them, you know, to reinforce all those narratives, to sit rationally and discuss that, oh, is Ukraine really, you know, going to produce a dirty bomb? And now let's Ukraine... Uh, uh, prove that they are not going to do that, you know, or Ukrainians are fascists. Or let's ask Ukrainians how they can prove they are not fascists, you know, how yeah. so they are not fascists, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's the subtle one there. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and it's kind of absurdity because for years people were normalizing those narratives. And now for a break. In the past year, your paycheck's average buying power became worth almost 8% less That's the real impact of inflation on your earnings. But we're believers in taking the power back into your hands when it comes to your financial future. 
That's why we did some research and we came across a fintech startup valued at $1 billion called Masterworks. Masterworks lets you invest in blue chip art, an asset class which saw price appreciation of 23% on average when inflation is above 3%, like it is right now. Their team of art experts analyze over 60,000 data points to find trending artists with high potential for growth. Then, members can purchase shares representing an investment in those artworks on their platform. So go to masterworks.art slash kremlinfile to join over 350,000 other members. Again, that's masterworks.art slash kremlinfile. And also see important Regulation A disclosures at masterworks.io backslash cd. Speaking of journalism, how important is it? Because this honestly has been probably one of my biggest frustrations over mm. the past decade. Um, you have Western journalists who come to cover, you know, now they were covering it in 2014. Can you explain how important language is? Because yes. the, uh, people need to understand, you know, Russia intentionally tries to, you know, pollute the information space by putting out so many different narratives that people just don't understand what to believe. And then you have journalists, you know, who have described Russia's illegal annexation of Crimea. I mean, they rolled in, you know, their operatives, annexed a, a part of Ukraine, then moved into Donbass, annexed that, and people are calling it a civil war. And there are Russian mm -hmm. separatists there. I don't know what a Russian separatist is, but apparently Western media does. How important is it that when you're dealing with things like this, that the proper mm -hmm. language is used? And how do journalists find this proper language? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Olga, absolutely. This is a great question because sadly, we still have journalists who continue to report Ukraine through this lens of uh, this two sideism, as I said. Yeah, so mm -hmm. they said, yeah, on one hand, you know, yes, but on another hand, you, and then they can find some kind of a contradiction which would help them to kind of develop their story because it's much more easier to do a story when you have some contradiction. And they are still asking, but what about, you know, Russian speakers? What about, you know, mm -hmm. this East-West divide of Ukraine, you know? What about language divisions, religious divisions? Of course, and they're saying, yeah, you know, it's complicated. Every country is complicated. Show me at least one country which is not complicated or which didn't have a complicated history because every second uh, uh, piece of, of journalism started, oh, Ukraine has very complicated history. Of course, because it was a history of genocides. It was a history of killing of Ukrainians for being Ukrainians. And yes, I would call it very complicated, complicated, you know. Uh, but uh, sometimes uh, I really see how those reports just add to uh, a Russian narrative without even being connected to, uh, to, to and there are many different explanations for that. First of all, because there is some absolutely, this uh, still existing very uh, uh, Russia-centered uh, yeah. 
kind yeah. of sentiment of covering yeah. Ukraine because mm-hmm. some journalists, uh, you know, living in Russia, covering Ukraine from Russia, has some, you know, family connections to Russia, and they have this emotional kind of this Russian culture, Tchaikovsky, Dostoevsky, and other things, you know, uh, as if it really kind of uh, <laughs> important in this very moment, you know, and other things. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> And that, that was created this kind of a fog of uh, yeah. uh, uncertainty, which was very, very helpful for Russian disinformation. Because if you repeat some narratives, Russia is Russian, they are really happy, they are grateful, and uh, Madame Zakharova will always mm. like to use it in her yeah. daily postings on Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and other things. So instead of questioning those things, I've seen a lot of journalists where kind of disseminating skepticism, where are saying like, no, we need to leave it because it's very, you know, authentic Russian kind of media culture uh, and other things, you know. And uh, now finally we see that there is no any, uh, you know, uh, leftovers of this media culture. It was all decided, kind of, uh, it was all ruined by the government, you know, and nothing is over there. And inside Russia, everything which is consumed now by Russians is propaganda, you know. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, I have to say, from the States, the coverage by CNN has been remarkable. I mean, they are That's calling good. it a, an assault on Ukraine. They are trying to get every single Ukrainian on the ground, despite difficulties, technical difficulties, because Zoom constantly freezes. Um, They're really, really like they're on the ground. Yeah. They're reporting. They're disgusted. You feel, you know, they're 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 like pain from the reporters on the ground. So I have to say, I'm very shocked. I was expecting, you know, like with our elections and I was petrified that when this war was going to start, that we were going to see this, you know, two sides. And luckily here in the States, knock on wood, as far as the main CNN, MSNBC, we haven't seen it. Fox News is in a different, you know, category. But but but, but, you're you're working right now. Correct. I mean, you're you're still fully operational there. Yeah, we're full operational because we know that the stakes are very, very high because it's about basically existential uh, threat of Ukraine if we lose this war. And that stimulates us to work as as much as as possible to to explain all those things, to explain how they impact people in very different parts of the world, and uh, to make sure that Ukraine is on radar because if we would get Ukraine, of the radar, that would mean that this war would go on for years and years. And uh, you mentioned those polls conducted in European countries, and that's absolutely great because people are really interested and caring mm-hmm. about what is happening. The, 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 the figures are huge, and that's, it's you just should understand how big it's for us here. You know, if we, if we see. Probably some people are saying, well, if we see some building in yellow and blue, this is not enough compared to if you would provide weapon. For me, it equals to, to, to weapon supply, you know, because if you know that we are fighting not alone, that means that 
you would be doing that much, much better and you would feel support of, of your uh, actions, you know, and that works absolutely uh, for me, for my colleagues, and we understand that this is not only our war. And when we are saying that it's not only about Ukraine, it doesn't mean that we just want to uh, drag everybody else to this war and make everybody fight and instead of us. We are saying the opposite, that yes, this war is absolutely dangerous because it can spill over yeah. to other places. But we are fighting here and uh, everything we ask is just to, to, to support us, not to abandon us, not to do any things which would uh, uh, be harmful uh, for us behind our backs, you know, so for us, it's uh, great to see this support. And uh, of course, uh, that's important that, that media would keep Ukraine on radar as well. Uh, because uh, as a person who teaches how to, to cover conflicts, I'm always saying to my students that with every war, the first weeks are the most crucial, with most attention from media and most attention from, uh, from audiences. And what's, what is happening next is uh, uh, compassion fatigue, basically. And yeah. people just uh, uh, become tired of bad news and keeping those bad news in their focus, you know, and they are just switching to something else. So it's very, very important to kind of overcome this uh, uh, compassion fatigue, you know, and to try to keep people's attention and to keep volumes on reporting on Ukraine, you know. And I see absolutely amazing work of uh, civil society organizations here in Ukraine who mm. are doing an absolutely amazing job. It's not only about fact-checking, it's about many other media-related scenes like ex ex also all types of explanatory works, infographics and uh, translating scenes into very, very different languages, working with the journalists locally. So because people understand that this is a, a media war as well. We started yes. with that this war was pretext by uh, manipulation of media and this war is conducted through uh, some uh, creation of some uh, uh, kind of media perception of this war. Uh, and uh, so if uh, we would not be doing enough, if there would be not a big volume of information about this conflict, definitely that at some point uh, people would just switch to something else. And uh, again, we also see how Russia wants to, to kind of make this more uh, dissolved, you know, and to... Um, kind of throw into conversation as many nonsenses as possible to again to make mm. sure that yeah. it's all contradictory to each other, you yeah. know, and people yeah. do not understand why yeah. we are fighting for. So yeah. from our point of view, it's important to, to make it as transparent as possible. And it goes all the way from uh, non-governmental organizations to president of Ukraine, who is also doing a lot of media and communication personally. And that's... Uh, as important as those things which are reported by media. So it's yeah. all actually about getting a message across and making sure that it's more amplified than Russian disinformation, which competes with um, uh, those signals.
Yeah, definitely. There's a lot, okay, of contradicting. That's what I'm finding is that you have one view and then it cancels, no, with another one. Speaking of Zelensky, so you're you're very positive about how he's been conducting, no, his uh, yeah, uh, I am because uh, yeah, because it's all kind of uh, create uh, the uh, absolutely transparent picture of what is happening, who is doing what, and again. It's not only some people who are retelling what is happening, you know, uh, but when president is going and first person saying, you know, that we are doing that and that we are fighting for that, we are asking you for this and that help. That's a very different level of communicating uh, your actions. And uh, uh, that's the opposite of what might happen during the, the times of war, because usually... The, the, the war is, uh, you know, associated with, you know, some limitations of information, some, you know, um, you know, censorship related to war and other things. So Ukraine is doing just the opposite. We are not censoring anything. We are absolutely open at all levels. All ministers are doing great media job from yeah. Minister Kuleba, from Minister yeah. of Foreign Affairs to Ministry of uh, Defense to the local yeah. level of, uh, you know, emergency services. And that, that, that's absolutely amazing because uh, all people understand the importance of, of, of having this information. We cannot leave the void of information. We cannot mm. leave the, uh, any, any vacuum because as back in 2014, it would be immediately filled with, with disinformation. Yeah. That's the biggest yeah. difference with 2014. Okay. Speaking of vacuum, uh, Russia has, you know, taken control of a few towns or has surrounded a few towns and basically these towns are under siege. Uh, in Mariupol, there's a humanitarian crisis. I mean, I every day check and I mean, we don't mm-hmm. even know what's we can't get a clear picture of what's happening inside. But people have no electricity, no food, no um, medicine, no heat in the in brutal cold weather. Are you how are you able to get information out of these cities that are right now more under Russian control or their surrounding? Are you still able to get that information out so you could document the war crimes and anything else that is happening there? Yeah, unlike places like Kiev, where you have a lot of journalists concentrated, there are places, as you mentioned, where yeah, you, you cannot get through or it's too dangerous to be there. So most information is coming either from uh, uh, local authorities or uh, local activists from different mm. uh, civil society organizations who are still on the ground, it's it's absolutely dangerous for them. Yeah. And they, they uh, those people who became a, a kind of a, a media personalities, they are in, in, even in, in a bigger danger because when Russian occupiers are getting into some uh, locations, they immediately look for those people. Uh, some mm-hmm. of them are already abducted and we don't know what happened to them. Uh, but again, risking their lives, they go to to media, they share their stories. Some of them are even live streaming anti-Russian demonstrations in those wow. cities which are already yeah. occupied. And some of them are abducted during streaming uh, already, you know. 
And uh, as you remember, there are those lists of activists throughout Ukraine, which were compiled by uh, Russia, for whom they they would be looking in the first instance to definitely to kill them. Uh, And uh, so it's a very, very uh, difficult situation with that. But again, as I said, people are still risking their life to get information through and say, yes, we are difficulties that and that is happening. But we are we are fighting. That's very important to keep this information coming. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, they're heroes, heroes, heroes. Absolutely. I mean, this Absolutely. is it's incredible how many people that we're you know that we're talking to, and and it's just it's a true. I say this all the time, and I really, really mean it. I go onto the feeds, and for me, it's an inspiration because if you sit. And you just watch the destruction, but you have to concentrate on what people are really doing and, you know, helping, as you were saying, documenting, but all the humanitarian aid that's coming through and people working right there, you know, and, and, and getting them. information yeah. out, and getting, getting information, information out. out, because if we are to have any kind of accountability, you have yeah. to have evidence of, you know, all the crimes that Russian military is committing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that many people are, are documenting and many organizations are documenting all those crimes already because uh, it's important to have all those facts. Uh, uh, yeah. And have their high levels that and uh, uh, Ukraine is willing to, 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 to prosecute all those people who who are in charge and who, who were executing all those uh, uh, criminal orders, you know, and I know that people are getting all of those, uh, the witnesses accounts and other photo video, they're getting all that together. And as I said, sometimes it's very, very risky, but they are still doing that. And yes, Monique, uh, you are absolutely right. It's a, it's a kind of a, country of a daily heroes and uh, yeah. everybody is a hero and uh, many people are saying that you you never knew that you are living uh, alongside with uh, with heroes yeah 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 it is we're no, lucky no. we're lucky okay to yes. be no we are we are definitely yeah definitely. after all of this is said and done and Ukraine yeah. prevails, then maybe they can ask NATO to join them. Because I know that's they what have, I kept saying. Yeah, it's they fact. have. They have shown the world yeah. again um, yeah. how things are done, how to fight, how to fight disinformation, how to that's fight it. every single you know hybrid warfare tactic that Russia conducts. So I mean, it, it yeah. is truly inspiring. It is. To wrap up, um, any last thoughts you want to tell the world and, and you know, what you want us to do more that we could do? Yeah. Anything. Yeah, so the, 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 the bottom line is we would continue our fight um, anyway. And uh, probably you've seen all those memes with Ukrainian tractors and farmers <laughs> who are still in Russian military <laughs> hardware. So there is a punchline to that with Ukrainian. Farmers could, could do that. You also can do that as well, you know. So that's that's my message that if Ukrainian farmers can do that, everybody can do that. Don't be afraid. Call out the perpetrators and help us to fight, and we will uh, we will win. <laughs> uh, Yevin, where can everyone uh, find your work? 
Can you tell us? Yeah, so the stop number one is our website, stopfake.org, which, as I said, available in English, Russian, Ukrainian, Polish, Czech. Uh, but also, please do follow us on Twitter. It's Stop Faking News. Uh, Uh, so it's like appeal to people, like stop faking news, you know. Yeah. That's <laughs> easy to remember, you know? Uh, and uh, also we're available on Facebook and many other places. So we are like everywhere. And we really ask you to, to follow us and not let any chance for disinformation to get over our information space. Perfect. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And we'll put the links on our, on the podcast episode, on our website Everywhere. and on the tweets. So everybody knows. Yeah, no, this, I'm telling you, Stop Fake is like one no, of my no. favorite places forever because it's, it's just such an easy compilation, you know, to, to fact check something to, I mean, it's amazing. The work yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Thank you so thank much. You. Hey, everybody, if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and please visit our website, kremlinfile.com. This is a Bunker Crew Media production hosted by Olga Lautman and me, Monique Camara, with executive producers Marley Clements, Jack Bryan, Grant DeSimone, Ben, Brett, and Jordi Micellis of Midas Media, with associate producers Ruby Frankel and Sarah Metz. Theme music by Oreste Camarra. Sound editing and mixing by Joy Ellett. Subscribe to Kremlin File wherever you listen to podcasts.